Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney, and this is Caffeinated Crimes. Welcome back. We took a week off last week from releasing an episode. We took two weeks off from record- re- <laughs> recording. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Um was going to say that we had a uh, much-needed break, but I don't know. Apparently, my brain still needed that break, so I don't know. We well, I had to quickly say my intro part and mute myself because I had to burp really bad. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> we're on a roll a, a roll what is wrong with me butter me up wait what is it <laughs> what do you suppose it something because i'm on a roll well butter me up because i'm on a roll is that the same <laughs> you know what, know what? <laughs> hold on 2024 starting out just as good as 2023 in case you guys were concerned like we, we don't do any of that new year new me bullshit we're still oh, no. on our same old bullshit uh oh <laughs> call me butter because i'm on a roll <laughs> <laughs> butter me up I, I that makes no sense <laughs> butter me up because i'm a roll is a way better use of but i also said because i'm on a roll which still doesn't make oh <laughs> my lord <laughs> oh boy i don't even know where to begin Oh my goodness oh goodness if that's, that's not like awesome. the most courtney thing i've ever done i've just trying to say something and i have no idea what the saying actually you're like i don't know what it actually is but i'm gonna make something up that kind of sounds right but i think it's it's way better personally but yeah we are the first recording of 2024 just coming Mm -hmm. right back at it with our usual nonsense um that hopefully you guys like because otherwise you probably would not be here but i don't know maybe you hate it don't tell us that though because that would hurt our feelings yeah That hurt her feelings. Um, But speaking of it being 2024, if you're a Patreon, um, you should go comment on our latest post about what, if there's any like big true crime news that happened in 2023 that you want us to cover. Because in January, we always do our like previous year, like true crime recap, like Spotify Mm -hmm. wrapped, but true crime wrapped ish um (laughs) so go comment on there if you have any like at the top of your mind that you really want us to talk about um and if you're not a patreon and you want us to talk about something that's too bad you'll have to sign up and go comment on that post because won't give it to you for free yes yeah you gotta come join us to get all the extra goodies so yeah i also kind of having the same moment that i feel like courtney and i had tonight we went to our dance class and we hadn't seen each other in like two three weeks maybe christmas eve so yeah, it's so, like, been almost three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a minute. And it's like it's been so long that we don't even have anything to talk about. Cause we're like, everything that's happened, I've already forgotten by the time yeah, we're I don't sitting remember down anything. to chat. <laughs> Let's talk about what happened this weekend and today. Cause exactly. Oh so we go like four or five days without seeing each other. There's always a lot to talk about. But when it's been so long, it's like, I don't even I've already forgot everything that's happened to me in the last week. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. Same with this recording. Okay, so maybe we should just get on with it if we don't have anything to say. Um, yeah, so we'll go ahead and get into today's episode. So our sources for this week 
are a People Magazine Investigates app episode, season six, episode 11, Natural Born Killers, um, Forensic Files episode, Dirty Little Secret, season 13, episode 47, an Ocean City Today article and a People Magazine article. So when Joshua Ford and Jeannie Crutchley didn't show up for work after a holiday weekend in Ocean City, Jeannie's co-workers contacted local authorities. Their condo was found with all of their stuff still in it, but no signs of them. So what happened to Joshua and Jeannie? So Joshua Ford was a father. Um, his son, Zachary, said he was an amazing dad. He was very social and made friends easily. He liked to be the life of the party. And he wouldn't just like sit in a corner at parties. He wanted to be like right in the middle of it. He's like wanting to be that guy you see who's like in the middle, talking to everyone, like keeping the party alive. Um he was also always willing to like help someone out. And Josh was actually raised in South Boston and his family was very involved in martial arts and fitness. So Josh's father, Al, actually started his own karate gym and Josh and his brother, Mark, also shared his passion of karate. So at the business, they created their like own like logo and it was like a red dragon and a yin yang symbol and Al, Mark and Joshua all eventually got it tattooed as well. So it like meant a lot to them, like this symbol and Josh even wore a dragon ring and Josh and Mark loved Boston sports. They were huge fans and they tried to go to as many like Celtic, Celtic games. That's right. Not Celtic. It's Celtic. <laughs> I feel like every time I say it, I say it wrong. So it's a confusing word, I feel like. Yeah. Um, those games and Red Sox games. Um, so Josh was married, but um, him and his first wife did get divorced when Zachary was two years old. So Zachary spent most of his time with his mother and he would spend at least six to eight weeks a year in Boston with Josh. Um, Josh liked to date. He didn't really like to be tied down. He kind of just wanted to like date around, not really have a serious relationship. But that did change a lot when he met Martha Marjane Crutchley and she went by Jeannie. Um, Zachary said his dad just seemed happier than ever, like once he met her. And they actually met in 1999 at a Christmas party. And Jeannie was very nice and calm. Um, she was very loving and just seemed like an overall happy person. Zachary really liked Jeannie and he said she was always nice to him and made his dad very happy. Um, and in 2001, they had been dating for two years, and Jeannie was an insurance executive, and Josh was a mortgage broker. They were both, like, self-described workaholics. Like, they both worked, like, a lot of hours, just kind of who they were, what they did. And Josh was offered a job in Fairfax, Virginia, and the job was just too good to turn down, so Josh and Jeannie moved to the D.C. area. And unfortunately, as far as, like, Josh and Jeannie go. That's about as much as I could get. Couldn't really find much on Jeannie besides what Zach kind of said in the episode. So that's kind of all we have, unfortunately. Yeah. In May 2002, during Memorial Day weekend, Josh was 32 and Jeannie was 51. And they decided to take like a last minute weekend getaway to Ocean City, Maryland. So Ocean City is a resort town and like a lot of people on the East Coast go to hang out, like especially people like in Maryland, the D.C. area. It's like a close beach. Like I know a lot of people like where Kevin's family lives, like in Baltimore. Like, yeah, Ocean City is like where we go all the time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> mm hmm. So 
Year round, the population in Ocean City is 20,000 to 25,000. But during the summer, that spikes to 300,000 to 500,000 people. So clearly the summer is really popular. Um, And especially Memorial Day weekend, it's kind of the start of summer. It's a long, your first like long weekend in a long time. It's very, very popular. Mm Mm-hmm. So on Tuesday, May 28th, 2002, the holiday weekend is over and people start going back to work. However, Josh and Jeannie didn't show up. And again, this is weird. They're self-proclaimed workaholics. It would be unlikely for them to just like not show up or call. Um, And Mark, who again is Josh's brother, was getting pretty concerned because he hadn't heard from Josh since Saturday. And on Saturday night, the Celtics uh, won and Josh and Mark tried to talk about it on the phone. But the bar Josh was in was just like too noisy to hear each other like he was kind of just calling on like a phone in the bar because it's still 2002 like cell phones exist but not really (laughs) like um it was kind of too noisy to hear each other and so josh was supposed to call again to catch up more and mark called the next day too and josh didn't answer again all on like pay phones hotel phones so i mean mark is concerned when he doesn't call but also he's like well I just can't get a hold of them at the hotel. Yeah, definitely feel like it was more common to like not be able to reach someone for a couple of days at that time than it is now. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you think like, oh, I just happened to not catch them at home versus when you always have a phone on your person now. Yeah. Um, and Jeannie had made an appointment with her employees, about 25 of them on this Tuesday and never showed up. Um, she didn't call and she had even spoken to them like while she was on vacation, like again, self-proclaimed workaholic, even when she's on vacation, she's talking to them. So they know something's wrong. Like she's not going to have this big work event and just not show up and not call. Um, so they did report her missing. Um, they contacted local law enforcement in Fairfax, who then reached out to law enforcement in Ocean City. So Ocean City police said they didn't have any like reports of two missing people from Fairfax. And the Fairfax officer told him they were staying in the Atlantis condominium and gave them their unit number. Um, the Fairfax detective also said the car they were driving had a license plate that says like Genie. So kind of distinctive, like a little personalized license plate that they can kind of pick out the car easily. Uh, Detective Scott Bernal in Ocean City took the details and his boss actually wanted to send him home for the night because he didn't want to pay him overtime. And in the interview, he was like, this was the first time I disobeyed orders because I was like, my gut was telling me something was wrong. Like I needed Mm -hmm. to do a check on this couple, which was like really fortunate once you hear what happens. But sometimes you got to follow those gut feelings. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So detectives went to the Atlantis condominiums to look for Josh and Jeannie. Um, So the parking lot was basically empty. Again, like people come a lot in the weekends. Most people are gone. Um, But Jeannie's car was there with the license plate. Um, And the car didn't look like it had been moved in a while. There were like sand and like leaves on it. And there was some like debris by the cars. So it's like kind of windy near the beach. So they were like, we can tell like sand's like built up on it and hasn't been moved like at least in a little bit. Mm-hmm. so detectives go into the unit and it looks like someone had just like left abruptly so like wine glasses with half drink wine were left out their belongings were still unpacked um their computers clothes cameras everything is still there um josh's wallet was still there with like cash and credit cards um the only thing they 
didn't find in the apartment was both of their driver's license. So that was missing. Um, detectives found a receipt from the Green Turtle, which is a popular bar and restaurant in the Maryland area. And it was timestamped for Saturday night. So they find another receipt in the trash can, which was a grocery receipt from when they arrived on Friday night. They kind of took an inventory of everything on the grocery list. Typical things you're going to buy when you go to the beach, like a lunch to take for the beach, snacks for the room. Everything they had bought was in the unit. So it's kind of concerning since like everything is still there, but no one's heard from them in like three days. Yeah, definitely a, a big clue that something is wrong here. Especially with like wine glasses with half drank wine. Like, why are you just like leaving? Like, yeah, you wouldn't just leave that out. Your wine and like leaving your cash and credit cards. And yeah. Yeah. And also like you were supposed to have been out of this unit and checked out and your stuff is still all there. Mm. So detectives try to jump into the investigation, but as we mentioned, Ocean City is a tourist spot. So as the hours move on, they're losing a lot of possible leads as people head back home. So a lot of people aren't staying. They're going to be leaving, might not get this potential information. So Ocean City police put a flyer out as soon as possible. So detectives also go to the Green Turtle to see if any of the staff like happen to remember them. And one of the waitresses does remember Josh and Jeannie because they were so kind. She said it's like a crazy weekend. I'm sure they're dealing with a lot of rudeness. Um, so I think just kindness in general just stood out a little bit. So she kind of remembered them. Um, she remembers them eating there, um, but doesn't really remember seeing them after they paid their bill. Um, there is a bus stop outside of the Green Turtle, and in the summertime, it's known as, like, the drunk bus, because a lot of people who've, like, had too much will just hop on it, go to another spot. So, detectives review the transit system logs from Saturday, May 25th, and the bus driver that night does remember Josh and Jeannie, and he remembered how they paid for another couple's bus fare, because that couple didn't have change for a 20. So, Again, they're just super kind people and are being remembered because of how kind they are. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and the couple they helped were white and in their 20s. And they all got off the bus together when it stopped at Secrets. So Secrets is another bar in Ocean City that's widely known. And on holiday weekends, it'll be packed. Um, some of the Secrets staff remember seeing the two couples that night. And they actually waited in line to get into the bar for like an hour. So like stood outside talking, whatever, for an hour before being able to get in. Uh, once they were inside, they partied together, but none of the staff remember seeing them leave. And that's kind of where they lose their trail on Josh and Jeannie. Then on May 29th, 2002, in the middle of the night, a silent alarm tripped at Hooters in Ocean City. So police show up and find a car pulled up to the back with a door open to the Hooters merchandise store. And half of the items from the store were either in the, the car that had pulled up or on the curb. So clearly a robbery in process. Um, so officers approach and see a man and a woman with merch in their hands. Um, they asked officers, like, can we just put it all back and we can forget this all happened? <laughs> That's usually how it works. You're just like, mm-hmm. okay, you caught me. Here you go. I won't take it. Oopsie. I'll just put I'm it I'm going to go home now um so that's not how 
that works. That was not an option. <laughs> so officers do arrest the couple. Um, and in the vehicle, they did find ski masks and flex cuffs, which can be used to like bind someone's hands. Um, and during the vehicle search, the female like suspect starts to have like a panic attack. And she's like, I need my medication. Like I need it from my purse. Like she's freaking out. So officers were like, okay, well, open your purse and <laughs> find a 357 Magnum revolver as well as a live round and four casings. And then next to the gun, there's two driver's license belonging to Joshua Ford and Jeannie Gretchley. So now they're like, oh, we were missing these. Why yeah. are they here? Um, so Detective Barnall heads to the scene of the robbery after he hears this connection. And officers had identified the suspects as a married couple, Erica... Sifrit and Benjamin, but he went by BJ Sifrit. Um, Erica said she had no idea why those licenses were in her purse, and she didn't know anything about the four spent bullets and one live round. What Doesn't... a coincidence. Wow. You know, like when you just open your purse, you start digging, and you find weapons and other people's driver's license, and you're like, oopsie, yeah. just girly things. Find some... Um, some random IDs from people that are currently missing and, and weapons, you know, all the time. Yeah, all the time. In their car was a parking permit for the Rainbow Condominium. So since they have the IDs and the spent bullets and these flex cuffs that could be used to kidnap them, detectives go to the Rainbow Condominium hoping to find Josh and Jeannie. And at this point, they're still hopeful they're alive because they're like, they could still be alive. Um, so they do race to the Rainbow Condominium and they didn't need a warrant because these were under like um, exigent exigent. <laughs> these are under exigent circumstances. So they're thinking Josh and Jeannie are still alive. So that gives them like the right to go ahead in there because they think they're trying to save someone. Mm -hmm. um, and they even put an ambulance on standby. However, Jeannie and Josh were not found in the unit. However, on a table behind the couch, there was a forever keychain that said Atlantis condominiums. I know we're mentioning a lot of condominiums, but the rainbow where Erica and BJ were staying is, is the rainbow where they are. And Josh and Jeannie have been staying at the Atlantis. So now they have Erica and BJ's condo being connected to at least the same condo that Josh and Jeannie were staying at. Mm -hmm. and on a glass table next to what kind of looked like cocaine were two spent bullets and both of them had like flesh and blood on them so since josh and Jeannie weren't found detectives would need a warrant to search further like these were just things kind of laying out that they could see but they can't really search or pick anything up or do anything like that until they get a warrant now while they're working on the warrant, Erica and BJ were booked on robbery charges and their possessions are taken into evidence and placed to discover some pretty expensive items in Erica's possession, including a designer purse and jewelry. And she had a $10,000 ring and the rest of the jewelry probably added up to about five to $7,000. So a lot. Um, she also had a necklace that had a silver dragon ring on it. And inside that ring was what appeared to be blood evidence. So they did send that ring to the lab for DNA analysis. And just a little bit more about BJ and Erica. So BJ was raised in Minnesota and he didn't really do well in high school and joined the Navy after. Um, BJ was a Navy SEAL and a medic. And he was the youngest at the time to like ever graduate like in the Navy SEAL program. Wow. I don't know if program is the right word, but you know. <laughs> 
Um, he also graduated as an honor man, which is a very prestigious award and like a bit more rare to be given out. So obviously was doing very, very well in this career. Um, so he graduated in 1997 and he married Erica Grace two years later. Um, BJ's mom, Elizabeth, said he really changed after they got together. He used to be really close with his family and he just stopped calling and seeing them. And it also soured his Navy career. Um, he got in trouble for absence without leave and subordination. Um, and he did eventually leave on a bad conduct discharge. So they cut their losses. <laughs> They're like, okay, this isn't working out. <laughs> They're like, you started off great, but now you can't do this. This is mm -hmm. not working. And Erica came from a wealthy Pennsylvania family. Her father, Mitch, was a successful contractor and her mother, Cookie, was a nurse. Um, she was smart and a dedicated basketball star. And she was a student at Mary Washington College in Fredericksburg, Virginia, when her and BJ met. And she actually played like on the basketball team at this college and was like really good she was a starter people spoke highly of her um and erica's family also said she changed after she met bj they weren't happy with her marriage to bj like erica was happy and active she had plans to go to law school and all that changed when she married bj so it seems like their marriage like changed both of them for the worst like <laughs> they both yeah. were having really successful lives until they got together and then it was and something about the two of them together just did not end well for Didn't anyone. Work. Nope. Well. <laughs> did not. Um, Erica did claim that BJ was controlling and abused her. Not saying this is not true, but I also don't believe a lot Erica says, as you'll come to see. Yeah. Um, kind of just sounds like a very toxic relationship on both parts. <laughs> Um, and they were a self-proclaimed Bonnie and Clyde. Um, so they had a string of burglaries, especially of Hooters stores. Like Erica loved the shirts from the Hooters chains. Like they just say Hooters. And like, I think they have the city on them. Like she loved those. I don't know why she started stealing them instead of just buying them. But she did. Um, and Erica did take Xanax and Paxil for anxiety attacks. Um, and the couple had a lot of snakes. And they owned a scrapbooking store in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And BJ did have a swastika tattoo on his chest. Oh. Yeah, I had to oh. include that part. <laughs> um, yeah. So Erica said they weren't having, like, much sex. Like, their spark had gone out. But that, like, burglaries and the risk that would, like, come with that is kind of what would get BJ going. Like, that, like ignited the sexual spark back in their relationship mm -hmm. um yeah and they started small and then kept escalating with the crime as you'll see okay so back to may 2002 we're going back a little bit so detective scott bernal was actually also an honor man in the marine corps and he said he hadn't met another honor man until he met bj like that's how rare it is like he hadn't met anyone else and he's like you know what bingo i have a common connection like i can buddy buddy with this guy he'll talk to me i'll use it to my advantage however once he said it to bj all bj said was i want an attorney so that shut down anything there so detective bernal moves on to erica she seemed anxious but was very bubbly and flirty she answered all the questions until he started asking about Jeannie and josh and she kind of dodged 
those questions. Um, she says like she never met Josh or Jeannie. And he finally asked, he was like, look, be straight up with me. Like, are they alive? Give me a statistic on it. And all she said was 50, 50, <laughs> which if you don't know okay. these people and don't know anything, why'd you be like, that's a weird question. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think you're making it obvious that you had some involvement in this situation. For sure. So detectives were able to obtain the warrant for the unit at the Rainbow Condominiums, so they go back now to investigate. And the forensic unit found that the bathroom had been scrubbed clean. Um, it looked very clean to the naked eye, but the forensic unit said that they could tell there had been a puddle of blood in the bathroom so thick that it was about an inch high on the floorboard, which just like... To imagine mm -hmm. that volume of blood, you know? Yeah. So underneath the vanity, if you like look up, there was a smudge of blood. And on the back of one of the doors, there was a droplet of blood that you could see like where it had like dripped down. Um, and there were also blood stains against the baseboard and blood evidence found in the hot tub. And they also found a bullet hole. So clearly something happened in this bathroom. Yeah. Um, the bullet had gone through the drywall and came out the other side. And by the hot tub, there were like two glass panes. So you could like look out and see the ocean. And there were handprints on those panes as well. So in the living room, there was a stack of pictures. And one of the first pictures is of Josh and Jeannie. Um, so I also found scrapbooks that Erica had made that like detailed her life with BJ. And Detective Bernal thought that it was odd because like, why would you bring all this stuff from your house to be gone for like a few days on like a beach trip mm -hmm. like why would you bring like all of your life's pictures and scrapbooks to go to like a little trip yeah yeah like when i go on a weekend trip to the beach i'm not being like let me find my memory box that has all my high school yearbooks and shit in it like yeah i'm gonna take this with me just have something to do yeah. um so they're just like tubs and tubs of items. Um, one of them was full of the scrapbooks that started from when they met and like went through their relationship all the way up to the photo of Josh and Jeannie where they had met them at Secrets. So in this photo, you see Josh wearing a ring that had a two-headed dragon on it, just like the ring that was found in Erica's purse. So Detective Bernal used this photo as leverage to interview Erica again because it's like, okay, now we have proof that you did know this couple. I mean, in addition to their driver's licenses in your purse, but <laughs> you have a picture of them in your scrapbook. <laughs> like, this yeah. is very damning. Yeah. So this time, she admits that she did run into them at Secrets, and they shared a few drinks. She said Josh and Jeannie offered to pay for their bus pass if they bought their first drink, so that's where the picture came from. So they're like, basically, you know, we don't have this change. Oh, we'll get your bus pass, get our drink at the next place. Mm-hmm. So she said they were having so much fun that they invited them back to their room to party in the hot tub. Josh and Jeannie stopped at their room to get bathing suits, and once they got to the Seifert's room, things started to go badly. So Erica said that she was missing an expensive ring and her purse, and she accused Josh and Jeannie of stealing it. She said that BJ lost it and pulled out a gun and made Josh and Jeannie strip down. BJ searched their clothes, but he didn't find the ring, and Josh and Jeannie ran upstairs to the bathroom and locked the door. BJ followed, and she says that BJ shot through the door and does end up hitting Josh, and then BJ kicks the door open. So Josh was wounded and looked up at him and says, like, why are you trying to do this? And then BJ then says, fuck you, and shoots him twice in the head. Um, Jeannie was trying to find a way to get out and eventually goes under the vanity, and BJ fired a shot and missed, and Jeannie was screaming, and BJ grabbed a knife and slit her throat. So again, this is all Erica's statement, but it does line up with 
the blood at the crime scene. Mm -hmm. um, investigators had found that bullet that was that missed that went through the drywall. And the forensic unit said there was a thick pool of blood in the bathroom that could be explained if BJ cut Jeannie's throat and she bled out. So Erica says that she had no part in this. Um, she said BJ put a gun to her head and threatened to kill her and forced her to help him hide the bodies. She said she was thankful that they caught them during the robbery because she was scared of BJ. She said that she did have evidence that could help them find Josh and Jeannie's bodies. So she said that BJ dumped the bodies in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, which was about 45 minutes away. So investigators take Erica to Delaware. And so the first dump dumpster they see, she's like, yes, that's it. So they dig through, but they don't find any bodies. So clearly she had lied to them. Um, and then she just has them like driving around for hours and just keeps like pointing to dumpsters being like, that's the one where he put them. But again, they're not turning anything up. So investigators are getting frustrated. And so they're just asking Erica, like, where are these bodies? Did you just throw them in a ditch? And then Erica just became a completely different person. She started cussing and said, I will cut your throat from ear to ear. She said, BJ would never throw their bodies in a ditch. We cut them up and put them in different dumpsters. So now this changes the investigation because they're now looking for like individual body parts instead of an entire body. Yeah, like they're so, going to dumpsters being like, we're going to find an entire human body. And now it's like, yeah. you're telling us we're looking for like pieces of like bodies. We're not... going to have to go through this entire dumpster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... She said that Josh's torso would be in a military canvas-style duffel bag that was zipped on the side. Um, so if you'll remember, BJ was a medic, so he would know, like, the human body, which would likely help him out in dismembering. So now police contact Sussex County Sanitation to figure out the garbage routes, and they try to, like, help them narrow down which cell in the landfill they should search. So obviously, these are not very ideal conditions for searching. Um, they even had cadaver dogs, but they couldn't really help because of all the different odors in the landfill. So after an hour of searching, they were able to locate a human leg. And another hour later, they found a human arm with a tattoo on it. And it was the dragon and yin-yang symbol that matched the tattoo that Al and Mark Ford had. So they were eventually able to locate Josh's torso, as Erica described. And inside the bag, the torso was wrapped in blankets that had come from the rainbow condominiums. So Zach's mom and stepdad now had to try to, like, figure out how to tell him that his dad was gone. Um, Zachary said when they told him that he just went outside to a tire swing and just swung for hours and just didn't really talk to anyone. And Ocean City detectives really wanted to bring justice to Josh and Jeannie's families. So investigators started to dive into Erica's scrapbooks and they noticed like pictures with numerous people and nightclubs and bars. So the police decide to try and identify all of these people. Um, and one of the people they identify is Melissa Seeley. So Melissa shares a story about BJ and Erica that's very similar to what happened to Josh and Jeannie. So on the Tuesday after Memorial Day weekend, a friend of Melissa's met BJ and Erica at a bar and called Melissa to come join. So they convinced Melissa and her friend to come back to the Rainbow Condominium. When they get in the condo, Erica's purse goes missing, and again, out comes the gun. BJ then tells Melissa, I just killed two people last week. I have no problem doing it again. Melissa pleads with BJ to try and let her find the purse, and so they do find the purse under some couch cushions. Um, she said BJ just completely changed and was, like, talking to them again like they were best friends. So, again, very similar to the situation with Josh and Jeannie, and Melissa never contacted the police. Which has to be so scary. Like, you're hanging out with people, you're yeah. chilling, you go back to their room, and then all of a sudden, they're just, like, flipping shit and pulling a gun on you, and then you find the purse, and he's like, 
<laughs> okay, so um, anybody want some more wine? Right, like, like another round? Okay, let's get back to our card game. Like, oh, yeah. okay. Like crazy. Yeah. So the medical examiner was able to find evidence that strengthened the case against Erica and BJ. So the leg at the landfill was Jeannie's, and unfortunately the leg was all they were able to recover of Jeannie's body. Um, the medical examiner said that she would not have been able to survive with the removal of that leg because it wasn't done, like, in a hospital where they could have stopped the bleeding. They're like, we know from this leg that she is not alive. Um, mm -hmm. So they could now prove that Jeannie had also been murdered. And in Josh's torso, they found a piece of lead that belonged to a bullet. And the medical examiner ruled that Josh was killed as a result of a homicide and the specific cause of death was a gunshot wound. Testing on the bullet from Josh's torso came back from the same weapon found in Erica's purse, a 357 revolver, and the DNA on the bullet was Josh's DNA, and the ring recovered from Erica's purse was found to have Josh's blood and DNA on it. So, when you talk about, like, a an ironclad case, this is one of them. There's mm -hmm. not a whole lot of, of doubt here. Yeah. So, on June 1st, BJ and Erica Seifert were charged on two counts of first-degree murder along with other charges. At the request of the families of the victims, they agreed to take the death penalty off the table. And a month later, Erica strikes a deal with the prosecution. So if they could see that Erica hadn't been involved in the murders and if she would testify against BJ, then they would not prosecute her for the murders. But in order for that to happen, she had to take and pass a polygraph test. So Erica sat down for a pre-test interview, and in that interview, she made a lot of statements that were way more incriminating than they'd heard before. So she now indicated that she was the one who killed Jeannie, and she was the one who stabbed her with a knife. She said she was surprised at how much pressure it took to pierce the flesh. She said that she also got a tattoo in Ocean City and put it on the same spot on her side that she had stabbed Jeannie. So now it's clearly obvious that Erica played more of a role than she initially indicated. So they did prosecute Erica for first-degree murder as well. Which is just disgusting. Yeah. That you would go get a tattoo in the same spot where you stab someone. Like, like what goes through your brain to... So <sighs> cruel. Just yeah, cruel. Definitely. So in April of 2003, Benjamin Seifert goes to trial. So Melissa Seely is called to testify. So she testifies about her night with the Seiferts and about how BJ said that he had killed two people earlier that week. And then BJ decides to testify in his own defense. So he says when they got back to the rainbow that he fell asleep in the car and he never made it up to the room. And he didn't wake up until Erica came down and said, I killed two people and I need your help. We have to get rid of the bodies. So he said that he then went into the bathroom and then came back out. But this is inconsistent with the crime scene because there would have been blood on the carpet if he had, like, walked into this horrific scene and then walked back out. Mm -hmm. However, this wasn't enough to convince a jury. Um, so BJ didn't talk to police and Erica didn't testify against him. So most of the stuff tying Josh and Jeannie to the Seifritz was with Erica. So the IDs and the gun and bullets were in her purse. Um, and on April 4th, 2003, BJ was cleared on all charges in Josh Ford's death. He was convicted of second-degree murder and first-degree assault in Jeannie's death. So BJ Seifert was sentenced to 38 years in prison with the possibility of parole. 
And on June 3rd, 2003, Erica Seifert goes to trial. Um, the same witnesses who testified at BJ's trial testified at Erica's, but the use of the 357 revolver does seal the deal. So the jury finds Erica guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Josh and second-degree murder in the death of Jeannie. Two months later, she's sentenced to life plus 25 years with the possibility of parole. So this case is just absolutely devastating. Um, BJ and Erica had pictures of themselves like out eating crabs right after killing Josh and Jeannie, just like enjoying their vacation. Like nothing mm -hmm. happened. Um, like they're going out and like hanging out with other people and like yeah. drinking and living their life. And it's like, okay, even if BJ's claiming he was asleep and Erica did it and he just helped dispose of their bodies. Like first off, you could tell people, tell someone that yeah she did that and not help but also the fact that you're just so unbothered that you're just mm -hmm. continuing yeah. on with your vacation like, like no, no, it's totally fine obviously zachary had a really hard time in the years after growing up without his dad um he said for about 10 years he just couldn't say his name or like talk about him without crying um and he did commit to himself after his dad's murder that he was going to become a criminal prosecutor um he did graduate from texas a&m law school and Zach wants Josh to be remembered as the good person he was, and he just missed out on so much time with his dad and so many core life events because of what BJ and Erica did. Josh's brother Mark also lost his daughter in 2001 after she was found murdered. And from what we can find, her murder is still unsolved. So just like so much that poor man in, in a family. year, like yeah. yeah, it was like within a year, his daughter was like murdered, and I'm pretty sure also found like dismembered, and then. The same thing happens to his brother. Yeah. Um, just, just devastating. Yeah. So Erica and BJ did get divorced in 2010. And in April of 2022, BJ was eligible for parole. So Zachary Ford addressed the parole board at this parole meeting and BJ was denied parole. His mandatory release date is 2030, but he could be released sooner. And Erica will be eligible for parole in 2024. And that is the horrific and senseless murders of Joshua Ford and Martha Jeannie Crutchley. Yeah. Just, just horrible and yeah. just random like, and like out of nowhere. Like, that's the thing. It's so crazy. Yeah. And like a lot of like comments I see like on Reddit and stuff like that is like this couple just wanted to kill. Like they were mm. escalating their crimes like with the burglaries and then like it just seems like they escalated to that and like i don't know i just don't believe i don't know if i can believe bj's story where he's like it was all erica because i'm like but two against one mm -hmm. i don't know if they would be running up to the bathroom to hide like two like yeah two against two and like you might know he's like a former navy seal like you're probably gonna run and hide more likely than and i mean also if it's just erica yeah, and also Melissa's story that BJ was the one that, like, pulled out mm -hmm. the gun with her and was, like, you know, all irritated about the purse and everything. It's like, mm, I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Just, wow. And just, it's so wild to me, too, that both of these people seem to be living, like, normal, like, successful lives until they, like, met each other. And mm -hmm. then it's like, what? It wasn't like one was a bad influence on the other. It just seems like them together turned into this somehow. And also how dumb they are because they would not have been caught if they did not rob that Hooters. Mm -hmm. Like if they didn't go commit that crime. Yeah. 
and had their licenses in their purse. Like, what? Yeah, that is like, if the licenses weren't in their purse, I don't think they would ever have connected them. They would have Mm -hmm. never found Josh and Jeannie Mm -hmm. because, you know, I mean, they still weren't able to find most of Josh and Jeannie. And they said Delaware's, like, sanitation department has a very, very well-organized like landfill like they were mm-hmm. like they know each dumpster exactly mm-hmm. what plot of land it goes to oh wow so that's how they were kind of able to kind of mm-hmm. figure out like the route and stuff so even with all that helping them they weren't able to find all of their remains so it's like they probably would have gone i mean they i i think they would have killed again and yeah. probably been caught but they literally got caught because they then went to go rob a hooters like a hooters yeah, like i was so sort of thinking like thank goodness they were as dumb as they were because i'm sure yes. they would have gone on to i mean they tried to with yeah. melissa like i'm sure they would have gone on to do this again you definitely know? yes thank god they did but it's like you are so dumb and to rob a hooters <laughs> like of all places yeah, hooters because like, you're obsessed to, with the shirts just you want hooters one. they can't be I, that expensive oh my god who needs that much hooters merch nobody loves hooters that much <laughs> and it's not like it's like a high resale value that you'd be like, oh, I stole like a bunch of like yeah. TVs, but like Stanleys this week that I can like resell. Like it's not even like that. <laughs> Those <laughs> pink shiny Stanleys. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. Well. It's also so windy outside. I don't know if you can also hear it at your house. Pouring rain. Also, when you were talking, my power flickered and I was like, oh, no. I got oh, no. really scared, but we're still here. <laughs> Okay, well, we better we better wrap this up before we lose power. And mm-hmm. would we lose the whole episode? I don't know if it, like, got disconnected while we were on. I don't know. Let's try not yeah. to find out. So mm-hmm. that being said, Courtney, what is your perk of the week? So my perk of the week is that, as we said, we took two weeks off. And it was just such a nice reset, mm-hmm. refresh. Um, I got to go up to Maryland and spend time with my in-laws, which was just a really good time. I love seeing them. Um, and just kind of got to, like, take some time off of work and relax. And then I came back to work, and it's hell. So I'm glad that we had that week off <laughs> <laughs> also to uh, from the podcast to let me – re re-emerge into society um ease back in to <laughs> ease back in yeah. but no it was just nice um to get a break that week of christmas just kind of mm-hmm. from everything it was just nice yeah. to have off of work and just enjoy and like sleep as late as i want and stay up late and like hang out with people and drink as much as i want um you know <laughs> it's always All the fun. fun things <laughs> yeah um but yeah, so that is my perk of the week. Jacqueline, what is your perk of the week? So my perk of the week is that this weekend my family did our now second annual cabin trip. Um, so kind of a way to, you know, it's hard during the holidays with like everyone split among like, you know, this side of the family and this side of the family and trying to do mm-hmm. all that. So we're trying to do like a let's just have our little family, like, you know, my brother and my cousin and, you know, like that part of my um, – let me go back uh, – so I try to figure out how to phrase it without being like, okay. Like immediate family? Yeah, but then I think immediate family, I think like yeah. me, Andrew, and Millie now. You know, so I'm like, how do I? So to just be able to get like our like core? immediate extended family. Yeah, mm-hmm. core family. You know, so not just me and my husband and my child, but like 
my original immediate family and my new immediate family, you know? <laughs> but so for all of us to like get a cabin together for the weekend so we can just all have that time together. And it's really fun to do it like the first weekend in January. Cause it's like, you get past all like the hustle and bustle of like the holidays and the new year. Mm-hmm. And then like January is like the worst month. Cause it's like, Ugh, and now what for, you know? Yeah. So it's a nice little, again, a reset, kind of just a, a fun way to start off the new year and relaxing and, uh, we went up a day early, just the three of us, so that we could take Millie to the aquarium and just kind of have, you know, a little day doing more kid-friendly stuff before everyone else came. And but it was mm-hmm. good. And it was a lot of fun and relaxing. And now we're back. And like I said, now it's January where it's like we're just slogging through until like March until things are yeah, exciting again. Because it's cold. It gets dark early. There's it's just, apparently downpouring and the yeah. wind makes it sound like my windows are about to break out. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> it is very spooky sounding outside. It is. Yeah. There's no more holidays for the foreseeable future. You know, it's just it's um, a very drab. I month. do. I'm very excited. I finally get Martin Luther King Jr. Day off. That's so true. That is the I, next week. Which very true. I guess by we'll the be, time you're listening, yes. hopefully you had yesterday off. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I'm very excited because originally my company gave us that and took away black friday um <laughs> don't know how that adds up but they gave black friday back to us so now we get both Good. very <laughs> nice that's exciting. so i'm very excited to yes. have that day i feel like i need that's it true. after we do get one more long weekend and then now we're after that not until back to the grind yeah not until like may for me yeah <laughs> my same. next long weekend same. um oh no way i get a president's day all right. Anyway, so Kevin gets so many holidays off because he is American and Canadian. So it's like, oh, that's nice. He gets a bunch off, but I'm like, yeah. nope. I have a five month stretch with <laughs> nothing, but nothing. Got to sprinkle some PTO in there, you know, get some fun yes. stuff done. Anyway, let us know how your holidays were, how your New Year's was. Um, what did you do to celebrate New Year's? And mm-hmm. do you like? Do you have any fun traditions? Did you get to see your family? Did you get to not see your family and you was excited? You were excited that you didn't have to see your family. You know mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, let us know your thoughts on this case, and of course, any other cases you guys want us to cover. We're always here at all the places in the show notes. And, and we already kind of mentioned Patreon, um, but again, patreon.com yes. slash caffeinated crimes. As low as $3, you can have access to all our bonus episodes, 40 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can give us five stars on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, just give us a good old thumbs up. Leave some nice comments on YouTube. Um, only nice ones, not mean ones. We don't accept yes. those. No. Uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> we do, but Jacqueline will reply to you. Yep. She won't be nice. <laughs> I will not. And I'll cry. <laughs> so just know that before you write it. <laughs> just know that. Anyway. Um, anyway, just go have a cup of coffee. And don't commit a crime.